Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm so glad you're here. If this is your first time joining us, hello, I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli, and this is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches of these last days, and this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. We always start with a word of prayer, asking God if He'd help us and help me, because we need Jesus. We need His help. We need His help to do all things. If you think you can do things without Him, well, you're simply, that's, you, you can, but you're not going to do them well. You're not going to do them in God's way. You're not going to do them like God wants you to do them. I strive to live my life doing the things that God wants me to do and living the ways that God wants me to because I've lived the other side of things and I could just tell you that living God's ways are way better than living my own ways. So let's ask the Lord to help us understand. Let's help ask the Lord to help us do the things which He says. Lord, thank You so much for bringing us here. Thank You so much for Your love. Thank You for Your power. Thank You, Lord, for Your Word. Thank You, Lord God, for sanctification. God Almighty, we are, uh, boy, oh boy, we, we are not good people, Lord, as the whole world thinks, Lord. We are really, at the core, we are heartless and selfish and evil, Lord God. And Father God, even once we get saved, you, you, you change that. You give us a new heart, a new mind, and a new, you know, a new outlook. But Lord, there's still that rotten flesh that we have to deal with all the way till we die. And that rotten flesh, Lord... It wants to lead us always into destruction, Lord, whether it's the way we eat, whether it's habits that our flesh has, Lord, our, our flesh wants to lead us into destruction, Lord. So we just pray, Lord, I pray for those of us that are yours today, that you would help us understand your word today. And as we understand your word, I, I pray that we'd also not only understand your word, but you'd help us to apply it to our lives, Lord, so that as your Holy Spirit works in our lives and our hearts during this message and your word, Father God, you change us, Lord. Help us to continue to change. Those of us that have been born again and saved, help us to continue to change and to move closer to you and to move farther away from the flesh, Lord. To walk by the Spirit more and, to, and less by the flesh and to walk by faith more and not by sight, Lord. Help us to be more dedicated towards the spiritual life of living for Christ rather than the fleshly life live for Christ, Lord. If those, I pray for those also, Lord, out there that aren't saved, Lord, that God in heaven, first of all, you'd show them that they aren't, Lord, as they maybe even think that they are. And if they're not saved, Lord God, I pray that you would spark something in them with this, these words that I'm about to speak for you. And Lord, I pray that you would open their hearts to the truth and help them to see what's truth and what's a lie, Lord. And then, Father God, that they would turn to the light, Lord, turn to Jesus Christ, Lord, your true Messiah. Thank you, Lord God. We love you and praise you. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. So, you're going to turn to, uh, actually, you can turn to the book of Isaiah. And we actually will start there. I'm not going to give you the chapter verse now. I'm not going to read any verses of our section today because today's message is a little bit different than normal. I'm not going to read over any of our sections because there are too many and there's too many verses. And so, you're just going to have to wait and see, but you can turn over to Isaiah. It's actually go from the back of the book to the, about the about maybe a third into the book. You'll find Isaiah, one of God's greatest prophets of old. A little recap. Last week we finished the book of Acts with a look at how Paul selflessly and tirelessly served Christ just three days after he was in Rome. 
even though he was tremendously wore out from their awful trip. He did that, remember? He called the Jews to himself just three days after he's there now, after what he went through. Called the Jews to himself. He introduced himself. He told them uh, what had happened to bring him there. And, and he also told them of why he brought him there. He brought them there to talk to him for his real angle to tell them about the hope of Israel or Jesus the Christ being Jehovah's true Messiah. As a result, Luke tells us that they're interested. Remember, they even said a certain day to come and hear him concerning Jesus Christ. And Luke tells us then in verse 23 that after they did, he explained, Paul then explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God. And then this is the most important part, persuading them concerning Jesus. That would be Jesus as God's true Messiah from both the law of Moses and the prophets, and then he says that he did it from morning until evening. You'd think, wow, that's a long church service. Well, actually, I'm going to probably say this again during the sermon, he probably didn't get to all the things that God wanted him to talk about during that morning to evening, because there's a lot. What he did, which means doing what he did, what he did was he gave them prophetic scriptures from the Tanakh, or that'd be the Jewish Holy Bible, or the Christian Old Testament, that pointed to what God's Messiah would do when he came, uh, where he would be born, how he would be born, which patriarch, uh, uh, which, which line of, of tribe uh, of Israel that he would come from, what, what kind of miracles he would do when he came, the events that would happen to him while he lived, uh, even how he would die and why he was to die. Then, since Paul here said that Luke told us that Paul then persuaded them concerning Jesus, then Paul was then persuading them to the truth that Jesus of Nazareth was Jehovah's true Messiah, the hope of Israel, and he would have had told them all about how Jesus fulfilled all those prophecies that God laid down for the true Messiah, his true Messiah, when he came. For please understand, and especially for our sermon today, and I'll give you the title here in just a moment, but please understand, whoever the Messiah was, Whoever God's true Messiah was, even if you believe if he's not come yet, we would disagree on that, but let's say you're listening to this message and you do not believe that Messiah has come yet. Well, please understand, whichever point, whether you think it's Jesus Christ or he's still coming yet, the Messiah, according to the Bible, must fulfill the prophecies that Jehovah gave through his prophets for Messiah to do when he comes. When he comes, understand what I'm saying? He's got to fulfill, he's got to fit the bill, if you will, of God's description of the Messiah that he laid down throughout the Tanakh or the Old Testament of the Christian Bible. And this is not my opinion. If you just search this topic out online or or even just go and ask an Orthodox Jew, one that truly believes in Jehovah, ask them today that, that... do they believe that when their Messiah comes that he'll have to fulfill all the prophecies that Jehovah gave of him and the prophets? And they'll say, absolutely. For, for Messiah to come and be verifiably Jehovah's true Messiah, he must fulfill the prophecies that Jehovah said the Messiah would do, would fulfill. And if he does not, or if he fails 
in even one, or if he gets one wrong, or if he does one, let's say he comes and he doesn't give glory to Jehovah, then he's not God's true Messiah, the one that God foretold of through the prophets and through the law of Moses all throughout the Tanakh or Old Testament of your Bibles. And I, you see, for that message, message Acts 28, due to God's purpose of that message only, well, I only mention to you just some of the ancient books that contain those amazing prophecies of the Christ, who I believe to be Jesus, uh, that he must have fulfilled to be Jehovah's true Messiah. And then I told you that Jesus Christ did indeed fulfill those prophecies. And, and you wouldn't know this because you can't look into my heart, but you know, God looked into my heart and God has his purposes, but you wouldn't know this. But I secretly yearned while I was teaching that message, I secretly yearned in my heart to read and explain those prophecies to you last week. I wanted to go through all of them. Well, you see, there's Isaiah here, and there's Moses this, and there's so-and-so this, and there's so-and-so that, but uh, I sadly just didn't have time because, again, I was following God's direction for Acts 28. Now, today, sadly, we're done with the book of Acts. No more book of Acts. I say sadly because I really actually enjoy teaching the book of Acts. I really did. Nevertheless, we must move on. It's called progress, and progress so we don't stagnate or grow stale in what we're doing, right? We don't want to stand still. So this week, I've been asking God off and on, hey, God, would you give me another book to uh, teach on? And he has not done that yet, and I cannot move on unless God gives me clear direction as to which book to go forth to. So no new book of the Bible to study yet, but I do have a tremendous unction from God to do something that is totally unorthodox for me, as I was stating to you in the beginning of the sermon. And what is that? I was instructed, led, yearned, whatever, to follow my yearning from last week. Hence the title of today's sermon, The Hope of Israel Part 2. God has laid it on my heart to take you through some of the prophecies of the Tanakh, uh, Jewish or Old Testament of the Christian Bible, that Paul would have shown the Jews from Rome. The same ones that he tried to persuade them with, that Jesus was indeed Jehovah's true Messiah. So today, in our sermon titled, The Hope of Israel Part 2, I'm going to begin, just begin, trust me, I'm going to begin, just, just to scratch the surface to take you through some of the prophecies of Jehovah's Messiah and how Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled them in supernatural and unbelievable ways as, listen, even one I'm going to give you today, he could only have circumstantially done, really. One of the ones that I'm going to go through to you with, with you today, I believe I'm going to get there, is one that really only the Messiah could have done when he came in the past. The, the one I'm going to, one of the ones I'm going to give you today can't even be fulfilled anymore. We might have to do that one next week. We'll see what time-wise goes. But anyway, the vision here from God, I believe, as far as this goes, is it, just as Paul taught the Jews of his day from morning till night concerning these prophecies that Jehovah gave through the prophets. And I tell you earlier, he didn't get through all of them. Because explaining them all could literally just take days and weeks to get through them all. And really, they could. So the, the, the kind of the vision here for us is, is this week and next week for sure. And then I don't even know. I don't even know. God, let's God, I'm going to let God lead. And uh, but all I could tell you is it's is for, is for sure this week and next week and, and maybe 
three, four, and five. I don't even know, but we're going to go. So uh, are you prepared? I, I, I prepare yourself for this amazing trip through the scriptures and these teachings. And I hope you are because God's opened up some amazing things. And every and I've, I've known a lot of the things that I'm going to teach you today. And I even did a little document that I've handed out to people before as far as, you know, the proofs of Jesus and fulfilling these scriptures. But as I looked into them today, God, as I was teaching them, as I was going to teach them and preparing to teach them, God opened up some new some new things to me today, some more in-depth information. So I actually got learned a lot myself this week. Uh, so I, I hope this is new for you. Um, not, not new as far as what's written maybe, but maybe it is. But maybe a lot of the information that I'm going to give you today will open up your horizons more like God did mine. So we're going to look at only two, maybe three prophecies today, depending on time. And these should put us at our normal hour mark of my teaching. I try to stay around an hour. Um, I try to do less. God keeps me about an hour. So anyway, so the first prophecy I want to share with you today to testify to you of the truth that Jesus of Nazareth was and is indeed Jehovah's true Messiah, the one that the Jewish prophets wrote of in the Tanakh, and a prophecy that Paul would have definitely shared with the Jews of this day. Remember I told you to open your books to, to the Bible or to the book of Isaiah, the Bible's of the book of Isaiah, and go to chapter 7. We're going to go to Isaiah chapter 7, and we're going to be in verses 13 and 14. And this is, God, Jehovah, laid down a plan for how Messiah was to be born. Uh, You see, God spoke through his prophet Isaiah that he would bring Messiah into the world as a child, born of a girl. But here's here's the kicker. Not just any girl, it was a young virgin girl, which means she had never been married or had sexual intercourse with a man. This, of course, logically means that this child Messiah must then logically have come into the world as a baby. Well, that's what we read in Isaiah chapter 7. Look at uh, Isaiah 7, 13 and 14. We read this. God says this through his prophet. Then he said, this would be Isaiah, He said, hear now, O house of David. Well, I'm not giving you the precursor to this, but this was King Ahaz, who was a a descendant of King David, one of God's greatest kings of all time, and he was of the line of Judah. We're not going to talk about that right now, but I just want you to let you know God is talking here through his prophet to the King Ahaz of the time of Judah, of the line of King David, of the line of Judah, the whole big tribe of Israel. He goes on to say, Is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary God also? Verse 14, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. That's key. I'll bring that up here in a minute. Behold, the virgin, there you go, the girl who had never sexually known a man, shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The word Emmanuel means God with us. Note, he shall call his name Emmanuel does not mean that Messiah's literal name was going to be the name Emmanuel. That just means God with us. What the word Emmanuel more stood for, it meant that the Messiah would come and be of God. He would be God, come down to save his people and the peoples of the world. And that is why it is a messianic prophecy. No normal human being is God with us. 
in, in the New Testament, we read if we become followers of Jesus Christ according to who he is and we come to him through him, uh, through him to God, through, you know, through his way, we read that God comes inside of us. But that's not quite what, who, who the Messiah was or if you believe he's coming, that's not who he's going to be. This prophecy clearly tells us that God is going to actually be this individual, basically just kind of with a human flesh bag suit. I mean, kind of sounds a little vulgar there, but that's it, kind of the truth. It's, it's God come down wrapped in the human flesh clothing of a human being. So it's really God, but it's just kind of the outside is a human. The nature was fully God, but he was also fully man because, or he's going to be fully man because of his outside flesh. Now, interesting side note that's really not related to Jesus being the Emmanuel, or, or, or the Messiah being the manual, but skeptics want to argue that Isaiah was not talking about a little, uh, a literal virgin girl here, hence not a miracle birth at all. The reason being is that the Hebrew word, and you may have heard this already, uh, maybe you didn't, but the Hebrew word Alma uh, of the, that meant virgin doesn't just mean virgin, and it can also mean young woman or maid or newly married, depending on the context. Uh, but you see, the people that don't believe it was a literal version, uh, one simply overlooked detail to this ridiculous idea of it not being a virgin, or you know, God not using a version, uh, would be this. You see, God was very, very specific to write something very special in ver- verse 14. He said this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. What is that? A sign is a miracle. It's a miracle event. It's something that's like, this happened, but we don't understand it. God does a lot of miracles through me and a lot of miracles to me and my family. And I'm really blessed that he does these miracles. But often he does these miracles and my mind's going, ah, I know this happened, but is that, how did it happen? I, that didn't really happen, did it? It happens to me all the time. And so miracle, sign here means miracle, and so that means that God's telling us it's going to be a miraculous event. And simply and sadly for the skeptics, listen, a young woman made or young newly married girl of that time having a baby is neither a sign nor a miraculous event. It's just simply not. In earlier civilized days of mankind, Middle Ages kind of on back, and even probably as much as even 100 to 200 years ago here in America, girls were married earlier in life and started having children right away. Just one example here for you. Around 1594 A.D., the play Romeo and Juliet was written. And Juliet, in that play of that time, which was a normal thing, well, she was only 13 years old when she got married to Romeo. So it's, again, a young girl having a baby that's married is not a sign. That's just simply not, okay? And this goes all the way back to biblical days as Mary was a young girl of about the ages of 13 or 14. And so my point here is that there's no miracle in a young girl having a baby that's just a young girl. Now, four or five-year-old young girl, but young girl in this context is not that young of a girl. It's just a young maiden. She wouldn't be a little child like an infant. She would just be a young girl. But there is 
uh, a miracle in having a virgin have a baby. That's a supernatural. That's a messianic miracle, okay? So anyway, the translators here in Isaiah 7.14 of the word Alma uh, of, the, of the Hebrew really literally meant virgin. So God was telling this to, to the king of Judah and to all those who, like, maybe you care about God today. He's telling us, all of us today, that he's going to do a supernatural miracle to bring his Messiah, his true Messiah, into the world. And he was going to do it through a virgin, which, of course, at that time was physically impossible. They didn't have in vitro fertilization. They didn't have the modern medicine that we have today. A virgin having a baby it was a supernatural sign and, and it would still be a supernatural sign today, but people could say, well, she went and had a medical procedure, and da, 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 but then it wasn't possible. So this is a miracle. Messianic prophecy. Emmanuel, which literally means God with us, because God came down in the flesh of a human being to bring salvation to the world, to mankind. Can you say, wow, bunch of love? Wow, a lot of love there. Paul would have most definitely given them this messianic prophecy, but then been quick to point out that this event just so happened in Israel around the start of uh, 1, 2, or possibly even 3 AD to a young virgin girl named Mary. Matthew uh, 1, 18-23 says this, and of course Paul didn't have the scriptures yet, but Paul knew the stories as they were translated, or transmitted orally at the time. Matthew 1, 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. So they were not married, but they were committed to one another as close to being married as they can get. But considered married... A, of their day before they came together, Matthew points out, that means come together physically, sexually. So they were, they had just gotten together, but they hadn't really consummated their marriage yet because they really weren't even allowed to do that until they had their wedding day officially. But at that time, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. That's a miraculous birth. That's a sign, right? Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. There, that puts, uh, I'm not even going to go there now. Joseph, son of David. Joseph, just know that Joseph, and then would have been Jesus, would have been in the line of King David. Do not be afraid to take you, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus. Hebrew name there was Yeshua. There was no J in the, in the Hebrew alphabet. So there, people would say today, oh, Jesus, that can't be. No, yes, that's false. He can't even be. No, 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 don't worry. That's our, just our English transliteration, okay? They, people transliterate names. I don't know why they do it. They do it. It's interesting. Uh, uh, it's an interesting way that they do things, but, but anyway, just know that his Hebrew name in the Hebrew of the day would have been Yeshua, meaning Jehovah is salvation. For it goes on to say, for he will save his people from their sins. Remember, God with us, Jehovah is salvation. Emmanuel, right? Which is what basically his name kind of means i know it's jehovah's salvation but jehovah comes bring salvation to man jehovah comes jehovah you know god with us anyway so verse 22 so all this was done that it might fulfill which was spoken by the lord through the prophet and he's talking about isaiah this is matthew now speaking 
Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. This is Matthew. Matthew was a Jew, okay, and he was writing his gospel to the Jews. And he was writing his gospel to try to help the Jews to see, just like Paul, that Jesus was their true Messiah, the one that God sent from, and he, that he talked about in the Old Testament, that he talked about in the Tanakh, that he talked about in the prophecies. And here he's pointing to he, Matthew believed that Jesus was God's Messiah come. Not one time, by the way, ever in the world has it ever been heard of that a virgin girl conceived a baby and then named it basically God. You know, this is God come to save the world. Nobody, no, that's never happened then and it hasn't happened today and I don't believe it's ever going to happen in the future because he did it, of course, to save mankind and I believe Jesus is the Messiah, but I don't just believe it because I just believe it. So, I'm almost positive that the Jews of Rome that Paul was talking to in Acts 28, along with you listening to me today, would have heard about the consequences of Jehovah's Messiah King being born in Bethlehem because both a tremendous event of praise to God's Messiah happened, along with a terrible, terrible disaster because of it. You can flip over to go to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, where we have both the tremendous event that happened to God's Messiah, as well as a terrible tragedy that happened of it is because of it as well, too. And, and of course, again, Jews had a culture and they talked about things. And, of course, this would have been things that they talked about, especially the tragedy that happened because of Christ being born. Matthew 2, 1 through 8, and then Matthew 2, 16 through 18, it says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, uh, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. That is an astronomical, amazing, like out of this world thing. The fact that these 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 scribes, these wise men, these these watchers of the stars, these these amazing men of of, of study, would come there all the way from from Babylon, the area of Babylon, to Jerusalem. It, it was an amazing trip. It, it it's going to go down in the annals of, of, of heaven as a, as a trip of faith, an amazing trip. And they come and they say, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, well, Herod was a, Herod was a whole lot of crazy. He was troubled, and that doesn't really mean troubled. He was kind of out of his skin angry. And all of Jerusalem with him. They were kind of all like, what? So there right there shows us that all Jerusalem, the Jews, knew of this event, knew that these wise men had come, knew that they had come, talked to Herod, and told them about this great king that was born, that they saw his great star. This made the Jewish headlines of its day, right? So Herod was troubled, all Jerusalem with him, verse 4. When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. We're not going to get to that this week. I've got it kind of scheduled for next week. I've already kind of got it in the notes. Christ born there. That was another key that the Christ would have to be fulfilled. He'd have to be born in a certain place. Okay, But we're not going to go there this week again. Next week, verse 5. So they said to him, and this is what the Messiah has to do. Notice that they said, this is what the Messiah has to do. Where, where is he going to be born? He has to be born, they say to Herod, the Jews still believe this today, Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who, who will shepherd my people 
Israel. Verse 7, Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. When you have found him, bring him back to me, that I may come and worship him also. Now, he was lying. He really didn't want to come and worship the Christ. He was jealous, and he wanted to be the king of Israel. So, had they returned... He basically would have said, oh, yeah, great, he's there. He probably would have had them killed. And then he probably would have gone there and he probably would have killed Jesus himself. So, But the honor that they gave him and the uproar that they're coming to Jerusalem, talking to Herod, talking about this great king, Messiah king that was born, made all Jerusalem in an uproar. And I'm, it made Jewish headlines almost positive, and I'm almost positive the Jews of then would, that Paul was talking to in Rome, that Paul was talking to throughout all his ministry when he when he proved Jesus Christ to all the Jews that he would talk to. I'm sure he brought this up because I'm sure the Jews knew of it then. Now, unfortunately, skip down to verse 16. There was a tremendous massacre, a tremendous disaster that happened uh, because of it. Because you see, God warned the wise men not to return to Herod because God was protecting his child, Messiah, who was still just a baby. And of course, Herod, well, he was a wild man. Verse 16 through 18 says, then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then he was then it was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Again, that was also a prophecy that Jeremiah, another great prophet of God, was going to have to talk about that that was good the Messiah was going to have to fulfill and there Jesus fulfilled that one so the massacre of hundreds of Jewish babies would have definitely gotten the attention of the Jews as a whole could these be made up events hardly the Jewish babies were slaughtered and that lines up with Herod's crazy reign Uh, at one point Herod even killed three of his own children because he thought they were coming or one of them was going to come and take his throne so Herod was a maniac and anybody that tried to come and take his throne that was it they were eliminated and that that was it no more that's it uh, another proof of this miracle actually happening is maybe you never thought about this because I actually had never thought about this before today. But you see, Mary and Joseph giving this story, telling this story about this miracle conception and miracle birth of their baby could not have been fabricated. And, and here's why. You see, Via God's law for the Jews, if a female was found to be pregnant without getting married first, she was to be killed. Death penalty. That's what God said was to happen to a young girl, any girl, who did not yell out. In the, you know, if it, was, if it was in the town, which this was in the town, if she didn't yell out and people heard her, then she, she would be stoned along with the guy that was having sex with her that, that, you know, he was trying to, you know, they were going to get pregnant, that they would have both been stoned. Well, when we read in Matthew that Joseph was about to put her away secretly because of her pregnancy until God intervened, this meant that he was not going to marry, that he was not, not only was he not going to marry her, but he was also not going to turn her over to be stoned. 
with his actions also meant for himself, what they meant was, according to God's law, since he was the first one to know of her being pregnant and unmarried, he should have been the first one to both turn her in and the first one to actually put his hand on a stone and be the first one to hit her or to throw a stone at her that would begin everybody else throwing their stones, which would have then led to Mary dying while she was pregnant. But because he did not, this is key, because he did not turn her in and he, he didn't tell anybody until, of course, later, this could have meant that he could have been killed with her. So due to the consequences they could have faced because of the story that they told about her being pregnant and unmarried, there's no way that they would have made up this event. For them to make this story up, I want you to think about this, for them to make this story up, they would have been willing to face the death penalty. That's really what it meant. Them telling this story meant that anybody, the Jewish leadership could have heard, she, she was pregnant before she was born. Well, we don't believe it was a, we don't believe it was a miraculous birth. There was no sign. It was she cheated on you. Stone her. And you know, Joseph, because you didn't do it too, stone you too. Who makes up a story? Think about motive here, please, people. Think about motive. Who makes up a story that could get themselves killed? What motive or benefit could they have had to making this story up? Nothing good. Nothing good for themselves. In fact, even when they told the story and they recorded it and it was recorded, they could have been killed if the story was recorded enough or if the story was told even verbally to others, they could have been stoned and killed for what they did. So you see, that's one of the reasons that one prophecy and all those little details, I'm sure there's more. Again, for time's sake, God didn't open them up to me today, but I'm sure there's more. But that's so why I believe Jesus Christ or Jesus of Nazareth was indeed God's true Messiah. And he did not have a, a hand in fulfilling this prophecy either, by the way. He couldn't have had a, a physical hand in this one, right? Because he was just a born baby. So he didn't actually like come into the camp and say, hey, I'm Messiah, do this to me because I want to fulfill a prophecy. This prophecy just happened because he was God wanted to send a child into the world to bring salvation to mankind. Again, one of the reasons why I believe God, Jesus Christ is God's true Messiah. Jesus absolutely did fulfill this prophecy. Number two, and this might be again, this might be the second and last one we get to today. I don't know if we're going to have enough time to get to three, but if we don't get to three today, we'll get to three next week. Second prophecy of today that screams out loud, even circumstantially, the fact that Jesus was Jehovah's Messiah. Turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to be in verses 12 through 16, and I'll read them here in a moment, but this is the Messiah's lineage. As I've already been alluding to via the first uh, sign miracle, the first prophecy that we were that we just read of. So, Second Samuel seven, verses twelve through sixteen. God not only told us prophetically how his Messiah would be would be born as a virgin birth means wise. He also told us through which lineage of Hebrew patriarch that the Messiah was going to come through. Also, 
This one is going to blow your mind. And in fact, I'm, I'm just thinking after this one, we're going we're gonna to close it out because we're already, uh, we're already way too late, much later than I thought we were going to be. This one, I, I learned some information here that I was just blown away by. 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 16. I'm going to comment on it as slowly as we go. Speaking to David, understand, I didn't, that's not in 12 through 16, but we'll see that as we go on. 2 Samuel verse 12, 7 verse 12. When your days are fulfilled, God speaking through his prophet to the great King David of that time, right? King David of Israel, the one who replaced the disobedient King Saul. And you, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers... I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And he's talking there about Solomon. And we know he's talking about Solomon, which would be David's first son, the one that took over for him because of verse 13. And he shall build a house for my name. What did Solomon do? Solomon built a house for God's name, right? And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, okay? David's seed through Solomon being established forever, which would mean that Israel would still have a king on their throne of the line of David until now, until then, until forever. And let me tell you what, I looked it up. It was a common search because other people looked it up too. But Benjamin Netanyahu, God bless him, the leader of Israel right now, the prime minister of Israel, he is not of the line of King David and the prime minister of Israel. He's not of either David or Solomon. So what kind of king was God telling David would sit on the throne of Israel for into eternity? A little more about Solomon first, verse 14. I will be his father, speaking of Solomon, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, which Solomon did, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Solomon did indeed end up committing iniquity or sinning terribly as he ended up falling away from Jehovah big time. Sadly, he married many foreign women, which led him to worshiping their false gods. But Jehovah never took away his kingship he, he, well, through his whole life. As God's prophecy said, Solomon reigned over all of Israel, Judah and Israel. Israel was kind of two parts, and he reigned over them all. And he did, but he did remove Israel, about 10 to 11 tribes, and he left Solomon with Judah, or Solomon's line with Judah, after Solomon died. Uh, that's a whole other story. I'm not going to get into that all today. But verse 16, here, here is the pow, right? Here is the pow, if you will. Verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Speaking to King David, that he's going to make Solomon's line all the way through Solomon, all the way on through all of David's kids. He's going to bring a king that shall be established forever, which means, uh, <laughs> which means God said that there'd be a king over Israel forever, even though we don't see a physical king now, until all eternity. And since no human being born can reign over anyone forever, God is telling us that's how we know it's a messianic prophecy, because here we see the seed of David through Solomon, through all of David's line, would produce a king that would reign over Israel 
forever. God didn't say if it would be a physical or spiritual reign. Right now, uh, with, with what I believe about Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is still reigning over Israel. He still is Israel's king. He's just absentee right now. He's just in the spiritual form in heaven. He's not there reigning on earth, but he will come again. He's going to come another time. Anyway, a psalmist then affirming that God did indeed tell David that the Messiah would come from his line or lineage. Psalm 89, verse 3 and 4. You don't have to flip there. Just a couple verses. Just a confirmation that, you know, other people in the Bible, other prophets that God called, they also recognize the same prophecy. Uh, this psalmist writes this. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David. Your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. So, because of these prophecies to David, and then the affirmation there in Psalm, the Jews still today believe that their Messiah will absolutely come from the line of David. He Absolutely. Not even in dispute. Google it. Talk to a rabbi. I promise you, I don't tell you lies. I don't tell you things just to make my points. This is true, honest-to-God stuff. They will not dispute that their Messiah comes from the lineage of David the king. They only differ in the idea that their Messiah has not already come in Christ, but that he will come in the future. Yet, here's where God... My mind went like this. Blew wide open. There's only one huge problem with this idea that the Jews have that their Messiah is still coming instead of him come already in Jesus Christ. There's one huge, huge problem if that's what you believe too. See, in 70 AD, Jerusalem was completely destroyed by a Roman governor named Titus. After they rebelled, the Jews rebelled against the Roman government. They didn't like it. They came and they basically fulfilled one of Jesus Christ's prophecies in the New Testament. He said, one day, all these stones will be thrown down one another. You go to Jerusalem. That's the ancient Jerusalem world, the one that Jesus was in, the one that Paul was in. There's not one stone of the temple still laying on. Jerusalem was completely destroyed. They destroyed their homes. They set their homes on fire. They destroyed everything. This destruction, along with other times, God allowed other mighty civilizations to punish Jerusalem, Israel, the Jews, and even destroy the Jews from their lands, has left them without very much very much historical documentation and even family tree documentation being on the top of the list. Today, it's almost 99 plus percent impossible for any Jew to know which tribe or family line they are each from. What does that mean? That's huge. That means that even if someone were to show up and say, I'm Jehovah's Messiah, and maybe they did certain things, maybe they did some miracles, maybe they, they were born in this one, and they, were, they came, you know, a supposed virgin birth, it, they could not prove that they are from the line of David from the line of Judah. This means that anyone could come and say that they were Messiah today or even future, but that they would have zero proof that they were really from the line of David. Think of this. If Messiah is still yet to come, why would God lay down the prophecy to David that the Messiah would come through his line then confirm that prophecy through one of his psalmists, but then send him in a time when he, Messiah, can't prove which tribe or which family line he's from. 
are that he's from the line of David. God is huge people on logic and evidence. Hence, the prophecies he's given to reveal Messiah to Jews and the world, the ones that would, you know, we're supposed to say, hey, let me hold this Messiah up to these prophecies and say, okay, is this Messiah, or supposed Messiah, is he fulfilling the things that God said that the Messiah was supposed to fulfill? In this case, anymore... This Messiah, any Messiah that would come from today on, cannot prove themselves to be really truly of God and which, and which lineage he was from because simply the records just don't exist anymore. If you think I'm kidding about the Jews really not knowing which tribes they're from, I can understand, but I have proof. Google the term, because I did, how do I know which Jewish tribe I'm from? Something like that, you know, something to that effect, right? And, and, and what will come up is a whole bunch of non-Christian Jewish websites. And the one that came up for me, the one that God led me to, it's called Chabad.org. C-H-A-B-A-D.org. And wouldn't you know that they have an article that just so happens to be titled, How Can I Find Out Which Hebrew Tribe I'm From? This article is by a man named... Malky Jewinsky. In it, Malky writes this. Now, this, again, this is a non-Jewish website, and you'll see that in what he writes here. For the most part, he goes on to say, tribal identities have been lost through the generations, and the majority of Jews do not know which tribe they are from. I kid you not, this is, again, Malky, Chabad.org. He goes on to say, there are a number of people whose families have passed down their identity as Konim, priests, or Levites, which was not the tribe of the Messiah, which means that they descended from the tribe of Levi, not, not David's tribe. He goes on to say, there are also a handful of non-Levite families who can trace their ancestry to a particular tribe, but these are few and far between. And here's how we know it's not a Christian website. For when Messiah comes, he goes on to say, which means that they do not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, we, we will all find out which tribes we are from. Well, I don't ever read that in any Old Testament book of the Bible. I never read that in Tanakh or Old Testament. I never read when Messiah comes. That's not something that God prophesied. There's no prophecy, prophecy that says, well, when Messiah comes, he's going to reveal to all Israel who they are. No, that, that's, that's, that's his own... That's his own denial of Christ because he, he didn't know what to do. You know, if you don't believe in Jesus, you got to have reasons why. Okay, So his reason, even though it's not from his Bible, is he said, well, when Messiah comes, we'll all find out which tribes we're from. Uh, so he goes on to say, lastly, so if this bit of information is important to you, do your best to hasten his arrival, meaning that he doesn't believe he's come already, he's coming in the future. Now, absolutely illogical and doesn't make a bit of sense. Again, Jehovah's not going to send his Messiah to earth with a specific prophecy that he's told in the past which shows which line of Jew he has to come through, but then send him in a day and time when he can't prove which line of Jew he's from. It's not going to happen. It's impossible. In one of the biblical times that God brought back the Jews to their land after they were you know, disobedient, so God kicked them out, 
God says this to a man named Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah was a great man. God called, you know, he loved God. God sends Nehemiah to Jerusalem. And as Nehemiah gets there, he starts fixing Jerusalem up. Jerusalem was in a bad state. The wall was torn down. The people were all in disarray. You know, there was no safety. People weren't immigrating back. God was trying to call Israel back to Jerusalem to try to rebuild it. So as they're returning, you see a lot of people started to come, priests, Levites, and so they did. And when they came back, these priests and certain Levites that came back, they decided to, they decided to come back and, and serve God in the temple. Yet, look at what Nehemiah says in, in Nehemiah 7, 63-65. And this can absolutely relate, and I'll show you how it relates to Messiah. And of the priests, the sons of Habiah, the sons of Kaz, the sons of Berzillai, who took a wife of the daughter of Berzillai, the Gileadite, and was called by their name. <clears throat> Verse 64. These sought their listing among those who were registered by genealogy. Listen. But it was not found. Therefore, they were excluded from the priesthood as defiled. And the governor, which would be Nehemiah, said to them that they should not eat of the most holy things, which were what Levites and priests were supposed to do. They were not supposed to eat of the most holy things till a priest could consult the Urm and the Thummim. That they, turned, they were turned down in the service of the temple because they could not prove themselves to be real priests or Levites by the genealogical records. So Nehemiah would not let them serve. Maybe you say, well, wait, 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 Pastor Ed, what about the Urim and the Thummim? Well, what about these? Couldn't could Messiah come and then God, you know, show the, the priests of today who, the, who, who he is by the Urim and Thummim? Well, he, he could, but there's a problem. The Urim and Thummim don't exist anymore. They're, they're gone. I, we, nobody knows what happened to him. I googled it. Look on Jewish websites. A lot of research went into this, this, this sermon. No, no, there's no, they don't exist. So that, that's a big, that's a big, uh, that's a big eh. So it's a good question, but, you know, they don't exist. So, so, so today, because of the destruction of the Jewish records of their lineages, going back to Messiah now, throughout history and in 70 AD, even if someone comes forward and says, I'm Jehovah's true Messiah, they can't prove it as God said they were supposed to, that they will, people would know that they were because the records don't exist anymore. Putting it in biblical terms of Nehemiah, they shouldn't be, or they should be excluded as defiled and not taken seriously because they can't prove it. Uh, so see how that should work biblically? And that's how it should work if we're following the Bible. Now, I'm not just talking about if you're a Christian. I'm talking about if you're a non-Christian or if you're a Jew and you're listening to this message. That's how it should work. That's biblical how it should work. This all means that Jehovah has already sent Messiah at a time when they had the genealogical records to prove it. How about Jesus of Nazareth? Did they have the records of him then? Could he have been Jehovah's Messiah? Take a look first. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 17, verses 1 through 17. He says this, 
Uh, I'm not going to read it. I bet you thought I was. That's a whole genealogical record from all the way way to Jesus. And every name and begotten name, that I'm not going to read it for time's sake, but you absolutely can go there to read it for yourself. Matthew chapter 1. Verses 1 through 17, there's a record right there that, other than the Bible, that record doesn't exist anywhere else. Or again, records were all, have all been destroyed. With that in mind, Matthew, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, did anybody else know? Did anybody else, would anybody else confirm Jesus was a Messiah, the Messiah or Jesus was of the son of David or he was of the line of Judah? Yes, absolutely. Luke 18 35 through 38, this is a profession of people then to show us that they knew who Jesus was and what line he was from. Just like we already read about Joseph, Joseph was of the line of David, as we just read in the birth of Jesus Christ earlier. Luke 18, verse 35, Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road begging, and hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant, and they told him it was Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, and he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before him warned him that he should be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Uh, Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Jesus goes on to heal him. And that's what he does. And of course, Jesus heals the man. So they knew, this man knew, this blind man who couldn't even read, don't even, don't even think they had Braille then, So which means that by word of mouth, he heard from others that Jesus was of the tribe of David, or was of the line of David, of the, that of David was of the line of Judah, right? So this man knew, number one, through word of mouth, by eyewitness accounts that they had witnessed and seen the proof of themselves, the genealogical records that Jesus was of the line of David. And of course, we know Jehovah's Messiah, from what we just read, had to be of the line of David. And number two, we're not going to get to it this week, but Jesus then went ahead and did a miracle that God prophesied that the Messiah would do when he came, making there two different proofs that Jesus was indeed God's Christ or Messiah with evidence of that truth. Again, I'm not going to go into detail all of Jesus Christ's healings and all they recorded that he did because he did a lot. I'm just going to give you one more, for example, today. Again, we're going to get to a lot more next week, maybe another two or three prophecies next week. But one more example of them having the records of of people of who the Jews were then and what lines they were from. This time comes through the mouth of someone who wasn't even Jewish, Matthew 15. 21 through 28. This is a man, this is a woman again. She wasn't even Jewish. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon possessed. Jesus goes on for time wise. I can just tell you, I'm not going to read it all. Jesus goes on to heal her. And then she bows down to him in verse 25. And she came and worshipped him saying, Lord, again, Lord, capital L, which meant master, help me. So even this foreigner knew that Jesus was the son of David. And Jesus goes on to heal him. And this meant that she even knew that he was the son of David and that she called him Lord. 
and that she called him the son of David meant that she believed that he was Jehovah's real Messiah. And because she did, again, she came, worshipped him, calling him Lord, which meant master. She gave him multiple titles of Messiah. And again, she wasn't even Jewish, and she knew who he was. And that was because they had genealogical records at that time before 70 AD. Uh, he does respond to her, as I just said. He does heal her. Wow. Uh, now, for your information, the Apostle Paul would have definitely used 2 Samuel, plus the life of Christ, plus the birth of Jesus. And in other places he preached, he would have used it with the Jews in Rome and to others he preached to. And he would have used them to prove that Jesus of Nazareth was indeed the Christ, the Messiah of Jehovah. Probably, Paul probably wouldn't have used the example. All, he would have used more examples. He had more time than I have today, where we're running out of time. Uh, but again, he wouldn't have used the documents of the lineages as like I did today, because they don't have them any. We don't have them anymore. Then they had them. So we even had an extra line of wow. Jesus is of the line of tribe of David. He must be Messiah because Messiah can't come anymore. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, hey, Messiah, when he comes, he's going to help us all know who we are. That's not in the Bible. That's not in the Tanakh. So Messiah has already come. Who was it? Well, it has to be Jesus the Christ because of the things that I talked about, the proofs that we've looked at. Next week, we're going to probably start off with the prophecy of the healings foretold that the Messiah would do. But for today, I want to end off, and I, and I, got, some, I got some things to tell you upon all the prophecies that I've given you today concerning the hope of Israel, Jesus of Nazareth, or Jesus Christ. Uh, but please tune in next week because I have a lot more. A lot, 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 lot more. The Bible has so much on this topic. It's, it's one of my favorite topics, by the way, if you can't tell. Uh, but, but just think now, that was only two of the many prophecies that the Bible tells us that God's Messiah must fulfill in order to him to be the real Messiah. And, and, and to, it, it took me around an hour, a little over an hour, to present it all to you. Just two. And I'm sure there was more I could have said, but, you know, God, for time's sake, you know, we don't have an all-day church like they had back then. Maybe we should, but we don't anyway. But I could have gone on an hour and a half, maybe two hours, telling you all that I had for you today. Uh, now, think about how in Acts 28, Luke told us that Paul went from morning till night. And I'll tell you again, I'll guarantee you, he didn't, get, he didn't even get through maybe half of all the prophecies of, of Messiah and how Jesus Christ fulfill them. I'll guarantee you they didn't even get through half. Uh, there, there's one more huge aspect that I want to close to you with in regard to these prophecies that I've given you of God's Messiah being Jesus of Nazareth and how he fulfilled them. I, I want to say this to you. You might be saying, you know, Pastor Ed, I, I tuned in. I thought you were going to give me something here. But, you know, all you gave me, you gave me examples out of the Bible. <laughs> you, gave, you gave me examples out of the Jewish Tanakh to prove to me that Jesus Christ was God's Messiah. I believe... I believe personally that the Bible's flawed. I, you know what? I believe some guys got together, you know, maybe mid-century, 1500, 1600, you know, or, or you know what? Or the Catholic Church got on and they had all their people and they just wrote it out and, you know, they wrote it out for the purpose of making money and, and oppressing people and, and, and that's why I believe is the Bible is. I don't believe the Bible's even an, an authoritative book at all. 
So you gave me nothing today to help me believe that Jesus is really the Christ. You know, all you did was tell me about the man-made stuff. Those are some good statements. Those are some good points. But unfortunately, they couldn't be farther from the truth. And I'll tell you why. We can trust the reliability of the Bible because, because of many things. And, I, and I'm not going to get to them all today. I'm just going to touch on a couple. Uh, probably three of the most important proofs of the Bible's reliability. Uh, number one, the, antiqui- the antiquity excuse me, of both the New and the Old Testaments, one and two. And, and number three, motive. Uh, first, the antiquity. Antiquity means old books. That's what it means, basically. Old, old parchments is kind of what it means. Antiquity of the Old and New Testament uh, is, is solid paper proof that we have ancient texts that date back. Uh, old Testament uh, dates back something along the lines of the Old Testament parchments that we have date back to somewhere around the 3 B.C. Um, scrolls that were found in the Hill Qumran, uh, book Isaiah, something like 3 B.C. are like the oldest known Old Testament books. I mean, that's, that's, that's thousands of years old. And, and, and manuscript text dating from the first, even the first, now think of it, first and second centuries A.D. Uh, of the book of the Apostle Mark and John's writings to prove the New Testament uh, that either Christ's apostles wrote of them personally because first century, the, that would have been the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts went through about 62 to 63 AD. That's first century. Zero to one would be first century. Uh, you know, 101 or 100 to 200 would be second century. And so here we have early texts, early manuscripts that date back as early as the first century AD in the book of Mark. Uh, But more importantly, these antiquity of manuscripts prove to us that Christ was not just a made-up figure that someone sat down in their basement or the Catholic Church in in the mid-centuries or or the Catholic Church didn't even come around until the 3rd or 4th century AD uh, that they decided to sit down and write about uh, in our modern time making up Jesus Christ like Joseph Smith did the Book of Mormon. They also show us, as I just said, the Catholic Church couldn't have done it. They didn't start till the third century. Uh, nobody could have written them down first century. Nobody that was nobody that had any real anything could have written them down. They were they were early first century. I mean, come on, first century. That's the Bible. <laughs> the Bible was written first century. That's when the Bible was written, either by the apostles or the disciples of the apostles. That's when the Bible was written. So that's so. Yes, we have early manuscript, real like ancient manuscripts and the Bible, which, and they all say the same thing. Uh, proof one and two shows us that Christ was a literal man. Uh, I believe the literal Messiah of Jehovah that was written about uh, <clears throat> by those close to him at the time that he lived in and that the Bible we have now was not a man-made book meant to oppress people or be a money-making scheme. Uh, now that I verify, that, that really verifies the validity of the of the, the, the solidness of the text of the Bible, uh, that they really can be trusted. That means that we can look to them for truth, uh, the truth that his followers were responsible for writing them. His followers or the followers right after him that knew, you know, knew of him from first eyewitness hand accounts. And now you could still say that some alternate motive may, maybe they had. 
maybe the disciples, maybe the apostles, maybe they had some alternate motive. Maybe they, maybe they, maybe they wrote the scriptures for money. You know, they got rich. Uh, maybe they wrote them for power or, or for fame or for whatever, popularity. Maybe they did, but did they? Uh, so if we go find out, because we can, we can look at history and what history tells us happened to the apostles of Christ and even those disciples of the apostles of Christ after uh, they came. And what history tells us is not that they were famous, not that they got rich, not that they got, you know, po- they weren't popular. Uh, none of those really. Uh, end game of what happened to them, they were all murdered. That's right. They all got murdered for what they wrote. All except for the Apostle John, they tried. History tells us they tried, but they could not. God would not allow it. He was the oldest living Apostle. He lived to about 98 AD, 96, 98 AD. So he almost lived to the second century, and he died of just natural causes. And they were murdered. Listen, the other 11 were murdered because they wouldn't deny just a couple things. They wouldn't deny what they saw. They wouldn't deny what they touched. They wouldn't deny what they heard. And they wouldn't deny what they witnessed firsthand of Jesus of Nazareth. Actually fulfilling the prophecies Jehovah said Messiah must fulfill when he came. Maybe they were deceived by Jesus and he tricked them into believing. Well, they walk with them. They walk with him, I should say, for three and a half years. (coughs) And as they walk with him, they saw him. They touched him. They ate with him. They listened to him, especially Peter, James, and John. They went with him practically everywhere that he went. So if they were deceived, they they couldn't have been deceived because they saw everything he did. He didn't do anything behind closed doors without his disciples with him. The disciples, would they have written what they did unto death, not denying, having firsthand reliability, firsthand eyewitness accounts? It's a foolish, foolish, foolish idea. Foolish, foolish, foolish. People will die for a lie. Jonestown. People will die for a lie. People will die if they don't know it's a lie. They'll die for a lie. Like, like, oh, that's really the truth. Oh, is that what you're telling me? Oh, well, then, oh, okay. I, if that's what you're telling me, okay. Right? But they didn't hear a lie from somebody. They saw the truth walking around with them. They heard the truth walking around with them. They saw Christ live. They saw him literally physically die. And then they saw him rise again. And they still wouldn't deny that Jesus was who he says he was. And they did it. And they didn't deny who he was and what he did until they were killed. They were murdered for what they saw. Nobody dies for a willful death lie that they know is a lie and they know is a deception and that they're aware that it's a lie and deception. Nobody does. People can get tricked into dying for a lie, but Jesus lived in front of them. So guys, it's unbelievable. The actual proof that we have, Messianic prophecies, the actual proof of the apostles, the early texts, everything. And and I just gave you two today. Two, with some ideas on why to believe them, which amazing ideas on why to believe them. Do you still not believe that Jesus Christ was God's Messiah? Do you still believe, well, you know, I just, you know, this, that, and the other thing, and you know, you can't, well, I exhort you, please. I've given you a lot of proof today. 
proof and truths is all we have to know the truth. Anybody can make up any truth that they want, but that doesn't make it truth because I made it up. Okay? Well, facts and proof lead to truth. And facts and proof that I gave you here today, they lead to the truth that Messiah can't come again. I mean, that, that's, that's, like a, that's like a grand slam, home run, four parks. If you're into baseball, that'd be like a four park all the way into universe ball run right there. Messiah can't even come anymore. Which means that either people that believe in this stuff that I believe in are just absolutely completely, it's a complete fabricated story, which there's no proof to, or it's got to be real. It's got to be real. Don't be like the Jews of Paul's day, who even after he had given them a lot of proof, way more than I've given you today, still just refused to believe. If you're still not quite sure... What I want you to do is I want you to seek God. Seek Him. Ask Him. Pray. Hey, God, was this what this guy said today? Is it real? Could it really be that Messiah already has come? I mean, well, well Lord, how do you get around that? The Bible doesn't say when Messiah comes that He's going to uh, show us who we are. There's nothing in your Word that says that. Boy, God, could, could Jesus really have been Messiah? The disciples all died for what they wrote in the Gospels? Would they die for a, knowing that they died for a lie? That can't be. That can't be. Seek the Lord. Crack open your Bible. Go back, look at some more prophecies. Until the space of time, till, we, till I talk again next week, please ask and seek Jehovah. And ask Him to show you if Jesus was and is His Messiah. Also, Examine the scriptures yourself while asking God to help you. And look at the things that the apostles say about him and what the Tanakh or the Old Testament says about the, about the Messiah and line them up and see if they line up. And think of those big things we talked about today. Motive. What motive? They didn't have any motive to do what they did. They didn't have any motive to lie. They didn't have any motive to write what they wrote. They gained zero from it physically except for death. Which, who writes something purpose? I'm going to write this, and yeah, I'm going to die for it, yeah. Nah, it's foolishness. It's nonsense. And of course, if you have any questions, please give me a call. Phone number's on the website. Uh, now, to you who say you believe in Jesus as the Christ, I, I ask this. How has knowing that Jesus was and is God's Messiah, Christ's Savior of the world, along with all the evidence that there is to support it, how is knowing that, how has it changed you? John 7, 37-39. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But he spoke this concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. He was speaking about God's Holy Spirit, that he would give anyone that comes to Jesus. And Jesus said that he would come into, right? And that he said, I, I am this one, I am God's Messiah. If you come to Jesus and you believe that and you surrender to him as that, then out of your heart should flow rivers of living water. The Bible calls it being born again. And as Jesus just said there in John 7, along with well, what the Bible says in other places, being born again is life-changing. God doesn't leave you the same way as you were. He changes you. The Bible says that when God saves somebody, He comes literally inside of you with His Holy Spirit, Christ too, and then they change you. Uh, what does it mean for you? You should no longer be a slave 
to any sin or practice sin. You should, you should be loving the things of God. You should be living for God, living the ways that God told you to live. Is that you? Is that you? Please examine yourself today. In our world today, many believe themselves to be saved. Many believe themselves to be of God. But sadly, their lives don't line up with what the Bible says that a true born-again person should look like. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Though for if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Please seek Jesus Christ if you find this to be you. If you find, wow, I'm, I, I, my life has not changed. Well, yeah, I mean, I believe in Jesus, but I don't know. Things of God? What are, I mean, I, I know I believe in Jesus. And what, what else is there? Well, there's a lot more. And if you don't know, and your life's not changed to be more godly and hating sin and loving the things of God, then I, I pray you examine yourself to see if you're even in the faith. Read the Bible. Read the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. See what Jesus Christ said a, a, a born-again believer should look like. And then look at yourself. And if that's not you, <laughs> seek Jesus Christ because you're on the wrong path. And God loves you, and He sent me to tell you, hey, check them out. Get into your Bibles. Look at what God says. Look at what God says and how to, what He says a born-again believer should look like. And if that's not you, then, then repent and seek God, seek Christ and how to come to Christ, how to, how to get saved, how to believe in Him as Scripture has said, so that you can be born again and so that you can be saved. God bless you. Seek the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your word. Thank you so much, Lord God, for all the many things that you've given us in your word, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your grace and your mercy. Please, Lord God, help us. Help us to know the truth, Lord, that the truth would set us free. And Lord, help us that know the truth already be set free even more by your truths. Thank you, dear God. We love you and we praise you. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.